To say my eldest is curious to a fault is putting it mildly. She has, from the time that she could grab things, touched first and asked questions later. A very observant child, she notices any slight change in her environment immediately. Anything. And once when she was in preschool, as she trolled the counters, she would do this when she was in preschool. The minute she could reach the counters, she started realizing that there was cool stuff up there. Didn't know what it was, but whatever it was, she was going to grab it. So she went and would grab whatever was off the counter. And one day she found our vehicle registration that I had left out for Bo to sign. I found it back on the counter with Naya scrolled across it. So she owns that car now. (laughs) Avid, aggressive curiosity is how I would explain her personality. One of my personal favorites beyond that one was when I found the cube of chicken bouillon in the pantry with a bite out of it. That served her right. That was just, as a mother, it just warmed my heart. She deserved that so much. Usually her curiosity is cute, bordering on the annoying, but there have been times when it's been costly. She has squeezed out expensive lotions and medicines out of tubes just to see what it would look like, trying to squeeze costly prescription pediatric ointment back into the metal tube. You know how they put them into metal tubes, like even worse than a plastic, you can't like go the, like the plastic tube kind of sucks things back up. No, those metal tubes with the, with the, uh, med- with the prescription ointment on it, they do not suck back up again. It is not easy, and it's a sinking feeling to see that all, all that expensive stuff wasted. That's what I think about when I hear the kerfuffle around Mary's pouring out of the expensive oil onto Jesus' feet. All this talk about what the money could be used for. But the cost of the oil, although a major part of the scripture and often preached upon, was not, to me, the most compelling thing about the sacrifice that Mary made. Picture the scene. The gang was gathered there at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's place, a comfortable, familiar place, a home base for Jesus and his disciples. They shared many meals together at that same place. They had mourned Lazarus together. They had celebrated the resurrection of Lazarus together. If that doesn't bond you, I don't know what else does. They had talked and dreamed and eaten and laughed. And of the three siblings who lived there, Mary was the mystic. She was probably the kid who asked questions like Owen did this morning. Uh, It's not easy to love people. Why does he say that it is in that book? which is so wonderful and beautiful. She was probably the kid who got captivated by the bee and the flower or the unfurling of the butterfly's wings. She probably often had to get called in to dinner because she would just forget or be distracted. And she had sat at Jesus' feet for hours over those many times that they visited together and spent time together. And she was, I believe, as full of knowledge and grace from those experiences than any of the 12 male disciples. And whereas the male disciples were still trying to figure out ways for Jesus to not have to die, right? They're like, come on, we've got to figure out a better plan here. Mary got it. She not only understood what was going to go down, but she trusted Jesus enough to accept it and even embrace it. 
This is why people at the margins make amazing leaders in the church. Because they're not daunted by loss. They know loss. And they're committed to allowing the loss to change something for the future. That is some amazing hope. What Mary did to embrace and support Jesus' journey was full of amazing hope, meaning, and it challenged the whole world order. It was rivers in the desert, away in the wilderness, forgetting what lies, lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. In the first century, anointing with this costly oil um, was not done um, in the this, in this circumstances. It was done in two circumstances, usually. It was usually done at uh, the time of death, which was women's work, because the death were un- dead were unclean, and so that was a lowly woman's job. And at the time of coronation, which was only the, the work of a priest. So Mary, in this text through her actions, was, I think, the first female priest. She took women's work, anointing of the dead, and wove it together with the priestly duties of anointing a king. And as she did this, she established what it would mean to be a follower and minister of Christ. She trusted Jesus so much that she uncovered her head, And in the Judean culture of the time, the hair of the woman was her honor. You would never have uncovered it anywhere but in the privacy and intimacy of your own home. And to challenge the social norms of that time was really dangerous. Especially if you were someone with, with no agency, like a woman. But in Jesus, Mary had agency. And she had courage, and she purposely placed her honor at the feet of Jesus. And not just that, but, but servants didn't even wash the feet of guests. It was considered too disgusting, because y'all think about it. There was no sewer system and treatment plant in the first century. So the sewer was in the streets for humans, for animals. People walked in that every day. The amount of bacteria and refuse on Jesus' feet had to have been great. And yet Mary trusted Jesus enough to take on that great humility, even more than what she enjoyed by just being born a woman, and washed those disgusting Women in the first century could not own things. Women in the first century would be at best laughed out of the room if they tried to be a priest and at worst stoned to death. But Mary trusted Jesus enough to let the expectations of the world go and embrace the new way in Jesus. Streams in the wilderness, pressing toward what lies ahead forgetting what's behind. No longer in Jesus would being a priest mean subjugating others, but it would be servant leadership. 
No longer would the purpose of religion be to appease an angry God, but instead to point to the grace that always comes down. No longer would pedigree or gender or ethnicity or social status or orientation be used to determine the right of the person to be the hands and feet of Jesus. God's grace and anointing falls down like rain on everyone, and Mary showed us that. Loyalty and trust to Jesus means letting go of ourselves, our expected social standing, our future, and our histories. Mary showed us this as she let down her hair, her honor, and the fragrance of her sacrifice filled up the entire house. Mary was a leader, even to Jesus, because remember what Jesus did before he was betrayed to his disciples, the last thing he did? He washed their feet because he knew what it felt like to have someone do that for him. The love, the grace, the humility that it showed. I can't imagine what a blessing it was to Jesus to know that Mary had his back. We make a big deal about everyone being missing from the, from the cross when Jesus died. A lot of the disciples fled, right? But remember, all the female homies were there with him to the bitter end. And Mary was the first to trust this journey and anoint him king. And she didn't leave his side. The most marginalized and disrespected of his followers were the ones willing to trust the new road in the wilderness. And here we are at the fifth Sunday of Lent. Next week is Palm Sunday with a triumphal entry, and then we are plunged into Holy Week and the resurrection. And what can we learn today from the bravery and boldness of Mary? We are all here, men and women, young and old, and we can all be inspired by her example. How can we risk and trust Jesus? How can we have Jesus' back all the way to the cross and humble ourselves, letting down our honor to serve and lead, regardless of what has been expected of us, for the glory of God? Our Old Testament and New Testament texts all speak to people who had very definitive ideas about what it looks like to follow God, and none of them looked like the suffering servant. None of them looked like embracing death to rise up in new life. None of them looked like resurrection or healing or reconciliation. The hopes of all the people, including us, are for blessing, right? For victory, for the glory days, and for a best foot forward. But Jesus has established a new way for all of us. We are slow to adapt, to change. We keep longing for a past that's not going to happen again and facing the future that we don't know about with fear. But even so, Jesus tells us in as calm a voice that has ever been spoken, we have to go to the cross.
When we hear this, I don't know about you, but my fight or flight instincts kick in. <laughs> That's only natural. I'm not ready for that, Jesus. But what if instead we could follow the leadership of Mary, the first Christian priest? And when we are tempted to flee or fight, to instead trust Jesus. When we want to hoard and double down on tradition and resist change, what if we found our most valuable piece of history that we own and trust God enough to pour it out? To anoint Jesus as king, as our leader, as our sovereign. What if we took what we think gives us honor and used it to serve others? On this fifth Sunday of Lent, my brothers and sisters, may we be bold to follow Christ all the way to the cross and amazed to watch our lives transformed by the new life of the resurrected one. May we dance and celebrate on the shores of an impossible river carved into the desert and invite the world to join us. Amen. Let's sing together, When We Are Living.